So Happy New Year to those of you that weren't with us last week. Starting a new year is a perfect time to make goals, to make plans as we hit the reset button. Wouldn't you like to do that, to have a big reset button that every time something goes wrong, you could just press that, go back 30 seconds, a minute, a day, a week, start over again? God gives us seasons. He gives us years, and I think it's not only to mark the passage of time, but it's also times that make us stop and think, okay, here's something new happening again. Let's look back, see how the previous year went, and let's look forward to the new year. What if every day in this new year, you could hear directly from God himself? Wouldn't that be amazing? Would you love to hear from God directly? Giving direction for your life, giving warnings, things to avoid, giving you promises of things that he will do for you and on your behalf, encouragement to make it through those hard times. Wouldn't that be amazing? Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's not going to be up on the screen, but Paul wrote to Timothy, reminding him of the blessings of the Word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I added or woman because that particular verse is talking about mankind. God's word is living and active. And I hope that in 2024, you want to be living and active. You don't want to just coast through the year. You don't want to make the same mistakes that you made last year. You want to hear from God and you want to do 2024 His way. His Word is the way we hear from Him every day. At the completion of Scripture, there are no new revelations from God. He said, I'm not going to send any more prophets. I'm not going to send you new messages. Our Bible is not only sufficient, but it is complete. And he said, don't let anyone take away from it. Don't let anyone add to it. This is the complete word of God. It's everything you need for life and for godliness. And so why wouldn't we want to be reading this on a regular basis? If you're a struggler with reading, you can listen to it. We have so many things available to us where we can listen with an audio app. We can listen um, with recorded CDs. If you remember CDs, I have the whole Bible on CD if you want to borrow that or if you want to have it. It's a great thing to listen to in the car if your car still has a CD player. How many, how many of you have a car with a cassette player in it still? That's awesome. That's great. I still have my cassette adapter where I had my disc man plugged into it and would listen on my drive to work. And now our CD player is gone. That's okay. Moving on. The Holy Bible, the inspired Word of God, is not just any book. It wasn't written with human wisdom. It's God's message to His creation. It's living and active. This scripture says it pierces the human soul and spirit It's like a sword dividing right from wrong. It makes us understand our own hidden thoughts and intentions. Do you ever do something and wonder why you did that? Why was I so, kids, this is a bad word, stupid. Why would I do something like that? And this tells us that God's word is going to help us understand what's going going on in our own hearts. The sin that's hiding there, the pride the selfishness, the things that we do that we don't want to do, Scripture reveals them to us like a mirror reflecting our real selves. If I use the mirror without wiping it off, I look pretty good. I look like a tall guy with dark hair and I look young, 
But as soon as I wipe that and it's clear and the fog is gone, I see reality and it's not quite as nice as the foggy, misty version. The Bible is like that. We hide, unfortunately, our own faults. We lie to ourselves and say, oh, I deserve that. Oh, that was just a mistake. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. And we make excuses for ourselves and the things that we've done. And the Bible says, actually, that was a sin. Actually, that was you choosing your own wisdom over my wisdom. That was you choosing sin because it was pleasurable at the moment and you ignored the problems that it was going to cause in the future. The Bible is a mirror and it's true. And James said, as we look into the mirror of God's word, don't walk away as though you never saw it. Fix what needs to be fixed. Be a hearer and a doer, not just a hearer. So reading your Bible is a spiritual discipline that every believer should be developing and improving. Alice proved to us that second graders can read God's word. She did a beautiful job. But as we grow as believers, as we grow in the knowledge, we begin to study it, we begin to understand it more. The Holy Spirit helps us in that. But we also have a community to help us. So my challenge to you, my challenge to myself is to be in the Word every day this year. And if you are not able to do that, be in the Word several days during the week. Do something more than you're doing now. How many of you this past week, today's the 7th, so we had an entire full week of 2024. How many read the Bible at least once? Praise God. Praise God. If you didn't read it before, that is so awesome. How many of you read it two times, three times, four times? I see hands standing up. How many read it every day this week? That's awesome. That is so great. God wants to talk to you, and he wants to hear from you. Our prayers are us talking to God, and his word is him talking to us. The Bible, just like this morning's worship service, is all about the Redeemer. It's all about Jesus Christ. As we sang, preparing for communion, we said, all I have is Christ. And that is so true. He's all we have. He's all we need. And we need to cling to him. We need to know him better. And he said, if you love me, you will abide in my word. That means you're going to live in my words. You're going to walk with me, talk with me. And we can find Jesus from the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation. He's there everywhere. So today we're finishing last week's sermon because Sunday morning I realized, wow, this is really long. I'm not Charles Spurgeon. I can't preach for three hours. I can just about make it to one hour, which you don't want either most of the time. But I realized it was too long and I knew I needed to stop somewhere. So I shared nine things. We're going to go back one slide, Donna. Nine things that you should do before you even open your Bible. And this is going to help you so much in not only understanding it, but applying it and enjoying it. These nine points came from a book called Before You Open Your Bible. Great title. Matt Smethurst is the pastor of River City Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia. He's an editor for the Gospel Coalition, any of you that follow their podcast or their website. And last week, I shared the first six Bible, sorry, I shared the first six of the nine approaches to God's Word, but I also shared six reasons for reading the Bible, the benefits. And you can find that on our church website. It's dunkirkbaptist.org. If you go to the sermons, you're going to find this week's sermon and you can click on that, and you'll find the notes from last week. But I just want to quickly review those six before we go into the final three this morning. I'd encourage you to take out your Bible, if you brought one with you, and look up the verses with me. They're not all there on the screen. There's a Bible in the shelf in front of you, and if you don't have one at home, you can take that home with you. We want you to have a Bible that you can be reading at home throughout the week as well. So just like number one, which is approach the Bible prayerfully, let's pray before we dig into God's Word. Heavenly Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this beautiful, white, wintry morning. 
Not everybody loves the snow, but I love seeing it and uh, just the cleanness of the covering of the earth. Your word says that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They'll be washed clean. And we have that promise from you. So Lord, we thank you that we could be together this morning. Thank you that we could celebrate communion, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we could sing together, that we could lift up the name of Jesus, that we could hear your word read to us, and that we could read it together. Lord, I pray that this morning as we hear your word and as we consider these approaches to reading it, that we would not just listen, but that we would put these things into action, that we would be doers of the word. Lord, prepare our hearts to be able to hear it, that we would look intently into the mirror of your word and see the things that need to change in our lives, not just our actions, but our thoughts, the intentions of our heart. Help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So number one is approach your Bible prayerfully. Before you even open it up, don't rush in with your own agenda. Sometimes we think, oh, I need a verse about this, I need a verse about that. The Bible does have those resources. You can look up in the concordance and you can find verses about love and about temptation and about purity. But on your regular reading, you should just say, God, show me what you want me to see. Help my heart be prepared to hear it, to not fight back or push back and say, I've got all this covered. I don't need you, God. I don't know that we'd say that out loud, but sometimes in our hearts we do that. Help us in our prayer. We ask, Lord, that we would see, that we would understand, and that we would apply the word. And secondly, we want to approach our Bible humbly. Humbly, we need to recognize that it's clear evidence in the word that God is the creator. He's the authority. I'm not the one in charge. As much as I'd like to be the king of my own little kingdom, There's someone else on that throne already, and I need to let him lead. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He is the King of Kings, and I need to recognize that. Not only does God love you, he wants to have a relationship with you, and he's reaching out to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit. Some people have called the Bible God's love letter to humankind. He wants you to know him And he wants you to know yourself. So humbly approach the word that you would learn and grow from it. Thirdly, approach your Bible desperately. Moses challenged the people of Israel to think differently about God's word. He'd been giving them the law, the Ten Commandments, and they're hearing these things and thinking, wow, how are we ever going to keep all of these? And he said in Deuteronomy 32, 47, this is no empty word for you, but your very life. Just as Christ is our life, God said, my word is your life. This is how you know who I am, who you are, and what life is all about. Approach it desperately, that you need it desperately. And Psalm 119, as it describes the awesomeness of God's word, verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. As you read God, God's word, make it your prayer that you need him, that you need his word even before you start reading it. Number four is to approach your Bible studiously. You are already a theologian, even though you might not think of yourself that way. Theology is the study of God, and it means you have opinions, you have thoughts about God. Maybe someone listening this morning or someone here is questioning whether he's really out there. That's your theology. That's what you believe and think about God. The question is, is your, are your thoughts, is your approach, are your beliefs biblically true? Are they true and accurate according to what God says about himself? Or like so many people, have you made God into the form that you want him to be? In The Matrix, which dates me a little bit, the movie talked about God being like a loving grandma with cookies, right? That was the source of wisdom and 
So many people would just love God who just says, come on in, tell me what is going on today. Here's some delicious, warm chocolate cookies. Sit at my table and just enjoy my love. God does love you like that. But he also says, when you walk out the door, watch out for this, watch out for that. Don't do this on your own. Listen to the words of my son. Be saved by my son. So we need to studiously read the Bible, understand it, compare it to other scriptures, and make sure that you are listening to him and not just a meme or something that you saw online. Ask God to teach you, and then be prepared to actually take time to study it deeper. That's why we have Sunday school. Think about going to school on Sunday. How many kids love being in school on Sunday? Yay. Some of you go to school here every day of the week, and then you're back again on Sunday. Studying God's Word is part of learning, and that's why we have Sunday school. Number five is to approach your Bible obediently. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God want from you? This is a great verse. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Fear and love have to do with our thoughts and our emotions. We should be in awe of God. We should reverence him. We should fear the fact that he holds our souls in his hands and our very life. So that's two of these commands. But walk, serve, keep, and obey are all about our actions. God wants your obedience, but he also wants your heart. So why should we obey God's word? Moses said under God's inspiration, it's because it's for your own good. How many times have your parents said that to you? This is for your good. I don't want to do this, this punishment that's coming, but it's for your own good. Or that really nasty medicine. I know this tastes terrible, but it's for your good. God tells us this is for your good. Fear and love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Serve him with all your heart and soul. Keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Because God created us to know him, to follow him. And your life will be richer when you do that. All right. The sixth and final one from last week is approach your Bible joyfully. Jesus said, my words will bring joy to you and your joy will be full. John 15, 11, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. As we talked about through Advent, happiness can come and go with our circumstances, but when we read and apply the Word of God, we will find joy in who He is, and we will be full of His joy. So now, number seven. This is a new one. If you like taking notes, there's a sheet of paper in your bulletin that you can take notes. Approach your Bible expectantly. After waiting for four weeks through Advent, Christmas finally came. Cindy and I enjoyed visiting with church friends. We enjoyed seeing our kids and family out in Ohio. We enjoyed giving and getting presents, eating lots of good food. But then we had to wait another week for our new puppy to arrive. And we were looking forward to the puppy getting to our house Friday night as soon as we got home, and I was pretty excited about that. But when we called the foster puppy home, she said, Friday's not good to me. How about Saturday? And I said, ah, I can't wait until Saturday. I need the puppy now. Who needs a puppy right now? Wouldn't a puppy on your lap be good? We should have bring your church, your dog to church Sunday sometime. Who said that? The guy who just got a puppy. Okay, so we had to wait a whole nother day, and I thought I was not going to make it, but I did. And then the puppy made all kinds of messes, and I had a really rough night Saturday night. 
But the waiting made the fulfillment and the expectation so much greater, and our joy is so much greater when we wait for things. We can wait and expect incredible things when we read God's Word and when we read it slowly and carefully. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, The foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's Word is not only wiser, but it's more powerful than anything that people could produce. It changes us, and it changes the world. In his loving high priestly prayer, Jesus asked the Father to sanctify us, to make us holy or set aside, set apart, to make us righteous, but not by our own strength. It's through God's word, the truth, that we can expect to be changed, not only us, but others. You may be struggling this morning with a particular temptation, something that has been a difficulty for you and it's pulled you into sin time and time again after months or even years of fighting it and you begin to think nothing is ever going to change. This is just going to be me forever. I'm always going to struggle with this and I can't avoid it no matter how hard I try. I have been there. I've tried and seen myself fail over and over again. In my weakness, in my inability to change myself I need to recognize that God's word is wiser and stronger. You don't need to just try harder. You need to read God's word. You need to find out what his will is, what his desire is for you. And when your heart wants what God wants for you, then you begin to see real change. Not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, change my will, change my desires to be your will and your desires because you want what's best for me. You know what's best for me. And as we give our heart over and say, God, I want you to be the one in charge, then we begin to see real change. It's no longer just your willpower. It's God's power at work in you, in your heart, through his Holy Spirit who has made his temple in you. Scripture says he lives with you, and as you live and abide with him, you will obey his word. There are clipboards, which I forgot to mention, in the back. So kids, if you need something to do and you're following along, that's great. But if you need some things, there are some additional activity sheets back there. And I'm not going to forget this, but I have a basket of goodies. So at the end of the service, kids and teenagers, if you want to show me what you learned or what you thought about through the message, you can come up and show me that. And parents, adults, if you want to show me something or tell me something great, I'll give you a treat too. I'm in the treat business. I don't have any dog treats in my pocket today, so you won't get a dog treat, but you will get some kind of treat. Would you also show grace to others who are struggling in life, struggling with sin and the consequences, instead of being annoyed at them, instead of saying, I'm done with you, instead of cutting them out of your life or giving up on them? Would you be loving and gracious and point them to God's word? And then you can expect their lives to change as well. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in, your, in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify means to make holy, to set apart for God. And this process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ, is a lifelong work of the Holy Spirit. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, God doesn't have a magic wand and just tap us on the head and immediately we're a perfect disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we have will. We have our own will. We have our own ability to choose. And God, as a loving Father, wants us to choose His way. Just as you as parents want your kids to choose what you ask them to do. You don't want robots. You want kids who are going to take care of each other and love each other and help each other and help around the house to do kind things for each other because they want to, because they've seen an example from you. And that's what God does for us. 
He says, follow me and I will change you step by step, little by little, from one degree to another to be more like Jesus Christ. This is accomplished as we reveal and see the truth of God's word. We're inundated all day, and depending on how late you stay up at night, all night with the world's ideas. They're in the books we read, they're in the magazines we read, the podcasts, online. Everything around us is basically the world's version of the truth. And that word truth no longer means what it used to mean. Our culture believes that there is no absolute truth. The world believes that you can adopt or make up your own truth and say, this is my truth and this is what I'm living by, whether that's actually true or not. As long as you're true to yourself, it's all good. Sorry, I'm going to speak Italian. That's bologna. Bologna is a type of fake meat. It looks like a piece of ham, but it's really all the leftover scrapes of things and who knows what else added to make it solidish and it's sliced thin and some of you may love bologna and I apologize if you're a bologna lover but the word bologna in our vernacular in our culture has meant this is something ridiculous it is utterly and obviously false this is not a steak it's not a big chunk of ham it's bologna and you take it for what it is There is real truth, and God says not only is his word true, but the truth will set you free, free from sin, free from death, free from the lies of the world. So when you hear someone in the news, hear someone in the world say, this is my truth, you can say, is it the truth? Because we don't get to put our own personal pronouns in front of the word truth and decide that this is what we want. Truth is found in God's word. And he said that truth will set you free from all of the things that you have believed that are not true. Scripture says we're looking as though in that foggy mirror or through a dark, dirty glass. We're looking dimly at what's the truth around us. And the Bible clears that up a little bit, But it says it won't be completely clear until we're fully in heaven before Jesus Christ ourselves. Did you know that even the people in the Bible had lives that didn't go as planned? Did you recognize that, that there's some people in the Bible that you're like, why is this person in the Bible? They lived a pretty terrible life. They were not a good person. I wouldn't want to be friends with this person. Why are they in the Bible? And sometimes people complain about that and say the Bible is just full of a bunch of terrible people. Romans 15:14 says, I'm sorry, 15:4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Some of those terrible people had second chances and God did amazing things through them. The apostle Paul is one of them. He was horrible. But he met Jesus Christ, and his life changed. His values changed. The purpose of his life changed. He wanted to share the good news, the gospel, the real truth with everybody, and he didn't care what happened to him. And there were other people who had ups and downs throughout their lives. They followed God for a while, then they stopped following him. You may have started reading the Bible and got stuck in Leviticus? How many of you have done that? You get halfway through Leviticus and you're like, oh my goodness. There's all of these laws and there's gross things about colored hair and your arm and this is just weird. Why is this here? Even that is there for a purpose, for us to understand that we can't not only keep all the law, but that God knows our bodies. He knows who we are. This was early medicine and medical practice in some of these laws. There were kings and leaders who honored and obeyed God, but they still faced adversity. And then there were terrible kings who seemed to thrive for a while, but later the entire country suffered as a result of their poor leadership. Scripture was written to teach us 
to encourage us, to give us hope, to show us real people like us. That's the mirror part of God's word. We can see ourselves in some of these people making the same mistakes, but hopefully we can also see ourselves in these people saying, God, I need to do things your way. I need to stop trying to do this on my own, in my own strength, in my own wisdom. God, I need to just submit to you. And we meet God himself. We meet Jesus Christ in the word. It was meant to teach us, to encourage us, to give us hope that we will change, to give us hope for the future, hope for eternity in heaven. And it's also meant to redirect our thinking, our actions, so that instead of seeking our own pleasure, instead of seeking the easy road, we would seek to glorify God no matter what. That makes decisions so easy. You may have things in your life that you say, I just don't know what to do. What does God's word say about it? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Those are the things you should be thinking about. Those are the things you should be doing. So when we pre- prepare to read the Bible, we do expect to have, an, to have an effect on our lives. We should read it expecting that effect to change our hearts and as we share it with others, the gospel is going to change those people as well, change their lives. Number eight, we need to approach our Bibles communally. There are a lot of people who say, I love Jesus. It's just the church that I could do without. How many of you heard something like that? I used to go to church, but those people are all hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. How many of you have said something and done the opposite? Any hypocrites out there with me? I'm raising both of my hands. That's an excuse. We might say something like, I really love Jesus and I can read the Bible on my own. I just don't need the church. It's like our Christian life was a nice meal and the church is just an optional side dish. Like when you go to the restaurant and there are three sides and you're just, you can't make up your mind, right? I, I know I want the garlic mashed potatoes and I know I want the cheesy fries, but what's that third one? I don't, do I even need a third one? People look at the church like, I don't really need this. I'm doing okay in my Christian walk. I'm doing okay on my own. Right at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see new followers of Jesus Christ gathering together around the word of God. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The apostles' teaching, the word of God. Fellowship, spending time with each other, living life with each other, breaking bread. I love that part. I love bread. My father was a baker. And if you Offer me bread, I will never say no, even though the doctor said I shouldn't. Bread is phenomenal, and something special happens when you break bread, or you slice into a warm loaf of bread. It's just so good. And prayer. Do these things together. Don't go do them in your house alone. The basic model is still true for our church today. We enjoy fellowship We enjoy sharing meals together. We enjoy sharing life. We pray with each other. We pray for each other. And God's word is at the center of it all. Not only the apostles' teaching, which for them they were getting verbally, but the entire word of God. That's what we base our lives on. Unfortunately, the English word here for plural, you, is the same word you. I don't think Haley is with us today, is she? If you're from the South, Robert's not here either. What's the word for more than one you? Y'all. Y'all. Y'all is not in my Bible. I don't have the Southern Bible. But this word should be translated y'all. When Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly, teaching you, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all. And we do those things. We teach the word. We encourage each other. Sometimes we correct each other. We sing together. 
thanks to Mark and our worship team. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo event. We need each other because we don't have all the right answers on our own. We don't have enough wisdom compared to the collective wisdom of the body of believers right around you in your local church. You have people around you who have been there and done that. And you don't have to make those same mistakes. You can talk to them and you can say, what did you do when you faced that problem? Are there some biblical principles that you could help me see and follow in relation to that? People who have made mistakes, people who have made good choices, we can learn from them all. When we're left to our own thoughts, our own ideas of what's right, we often get into a heap of trouble. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're in a heap of trouble and you're thinking, this isn't working. I need more than this. And I would say, yes, you need the word of God. Yes, you need to know Jesus Christ as your savior. But yes, you need a church family. Next Sunday, is it Dan or Mark doing the class with me next week? Dan? So the intro class right now has three names on it. And it should have more than that. Dan and I could add our names, but we know we're already going. But we need to plan for lunch, and we need to plan for how big a room we're going to have. Because if you've never learned about our church, if you've never taken that step and said, I'd like to learn more about First Baptist so that I can join, so I can get involved in ministry, so I can serve, then go sign up. Ron's going to sign up right now. Thank you. (laughs) Don't follow Ron right now. But you can sign up when you walk out. There's lines, and you could even flip the paper over if you needed to add lines. We're not going to limit the class. But you should come to that because we want you to find out what it is to be part of a family. We need each other, and we need you serving with us. Peter, who was called the rock of the church, was corrected in Galatians 2, 11 to 21. He had some wrong thinking, and he was Peter. We know he made a lot of mistakes along the way, but now he's the chief of the apostles. He's the one kind of heading up the church Not in a Roman way, but he was the leader in the church, and he made mistakes. He needed to be corrected by other apostles in his thinking about Jewish traditions. Apollos, who was talked about by Paul, was taught by Priscilla and Aquila. They weren't even apostles, but they taught him what it meant to be baptized, to follow the Lord. Timothy and Titus were encouraged and set straight by Paul. Pastors are called by God to help you understand and apply God's word, to protect you from wrong teaching, to encourage you to use your gifts in the church, and to be obedient in the word. Titus 1.9, Paul described a pastor. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That is my marching order as a pastor is to be able to teach and instruct in God's word and to correct people who are contradicting it. You need the church and the church needs you. It's a place where you can hear and understand and apply God's word. It's a place where you can find other believers who will read and discuss the word with you. Instead of rushing home after the service today, the Bills game is not until much later, so you don't have to get out of here quickly. Stay for coffee. Talk to some people. Get to know some people's names. Everybody's wearing a name tag except for me, and I'll put mine on later. It's Mark, in case you forgot it. Stay for coffee and then stay for a Sunday school class. There's a ladies' class. There's a combined adult class. There are classes for every age of our young people and kids. We have a growth group tonight at Eliana and Alex's house. And as you heard Sarah talk about before, we have men's Bible studies. We have lots of men's breakfasts because we like to eat. We take that breaking of bread literally, literally, and we have toast often. Not only will you enjoy a good meal and hopefully meaningful conversations, but you will learn, you'll grow in your faith, and you'll learn to trust people to talk to them, to get to know them. This quote from Pastor Tabidi Anyabwile says, if you don't need your Bible at church, then the Bible says you don't need that church. 
If you don't need your Bible at church, if you can go through the entire day and have never looked at your Bible, whether on the screen or in the pew in front of you, or you brought one with you, then you don't need that church. First Baptist Church holds to God's Word as the authority, not only for our church, but for our lives. And yes, you can read the Bible on your own, and I'm encouraging you to do that, but you should also make a point of reading it in community with others in a church family. This is not going to take a third Sunday. I promise we're going to finish, and I promise there will be time for coffee and fellowship. Number nine, this is the last one. Approach your Bible Christ-centered. The author in the book called this Christocentrically, and I just knew I would trip, uh, I can't even say trip, I would have trouble saying that word over and over again, so I just called it Christ-centered. Someone could approach the Bible with all of the first eight perspectives and miss the whole point of God's message to the world. How many of you grew up going to Sunday school as a kid? Your parents took you, your grandma took you, somebody took you. How many of you watched VeggieTales as a kid or as an adult? Well, in those places, you may have heard a Bible story And you may have heard an application of something like, so be a better person, be a better you, or God is going to help you do anything you want. You may have been taught that you can fight the giants in your life just like David did, or you can be generous just like the boy who gave his lunch to Jesus, or you may have heard, if you bring your kids to church, they're going to turn out perfect I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but none of those are the actual points of those Bible stories or of the Proverbs. Reading it and obeying God's word is not saying, well, what this says to me is, every passage has an original purpose and meaning. And when you read it, the Holy Spirit may impress on you things that you need to do and change in light of what you just read, but the meaning is set. It was set by God. Every author was inspired supernaturally by God to write the words that they wrote. They wrote in their own style, and their own language, but they wrote what God wanted them to say. If we say, this is what it means to me, if we choose our own meaning, then we're choosing man's wisdom over God's wisdom and power. So let me just briefly give you a bird's eye view of the Bible. It's not really just a story or collection of unrelated writings. It's like no other book in all of history. It's been worth protecting and even dying for as people gave their lives to make new translations, to smuggle it into closed countries. It's been kept out of the hands of everyday people for fear that they would read it and follow it instead of listening to their leaders who were not following it. And this book is illegal in many countries for the same reason. It's comprised of 66 books of many different literary genres. There are more than 40 different authors from a variety of backgrounds and occupations. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. There were 10 unique civilizations. It was spread over at least three continents. It was written in three different languages, but it all tells one unified story of redemption. The Bible has one ultimate plan, one ultimate plot, one ultimate champion, and one ultimate king. Some have said that the Old Testament is Christ concealed, the New Testament is Christ revealed, and the Bible is centered on Jesus Christ the long-expected Messiah of the Old Testament. Jesus made this clear when he was walking and talking with two of his followers after his death in Luke 24. He said to them lovingly, O foolish ones, and slow of heart. Has anybody said that to you? You're slow of heart to believe all the things that the prophets have spoken Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, right from the very beginning, 
he interpreted to them all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Later, Jesus met with his 11 disciples, and he restated that same concept. Luke 24, verses 44 to 45. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Another way of seeing the different parts of the Bible is this. The Old Testament, all related to the Messiah, is a book, are books of anticipation. The Gospels are the manifestation of the Messiah. The book of Acts is the proclamation of the Messiah, the Gospel going forth. The epistles are the explanation about the Messiah and how to follow him. And then finally, the revelation is the consummation, the completion, the restoration of all of creation back to what God originally designed. The author who designed us to worship, to enjoy and glorify him, the one that we offended and broke away from in our sinful rebellion, stepped into his own story as a human to salvage and to rescue us. As we talked about at Christmas time, Emmanuel, who is God with us, came to bring us back to God. Even though every one of us deserves to be separated from God forever, God knew that we couldn't save ourselves, so he provided the ultimate sacrifice. His own son, the Lamb of God, Jesus died in our place to redeem our unredeemable souls. Through his death on the cross, Jesus offers forgiveness and peace. And through his resurrection, he offers freedom from sin and eternal life. 2 Corinthians 1.10 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. God's promises are all fulfilled through Jesus. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. One of the books out at the Welcome Center is the gospel story. And that's what we're using in CCA Chapel as we read through all of the Bible stories. We're always pointed back to Jesus Christ. We saw him compared to the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. We saw him compared to the scarlet cord hung from Rahab's house to protect her and all that were in it. We saw him in the Passover as the blood was applied to the top and the sides of the house and all who were in it and believed that they would be saved were saved. We see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And so if you're looking for something for family devotions, each of them are just about a page and a half long, but they will help your family see Jesus Christ throughout the whole Bible. You can take a look at it. That's my copy, so please don't take it. I need to teach chapel this week. When you read your Bible, you can look for Jesus in every chapter. And you'll either be looking forward to his coming, you'll see him living and dying and rising again, or you'll learn to follow him and you'll be excited about his return. The Bible is all about Jesus, and that's why it's so vital that we read it. I hope in 2024 you will take God's word in, that it will be living and active in your life, and as a result, you will be more alive and more active. So the takeaways are going to be on the screen. They're on the website because the coffee is calling. <laughs> Very quickly, Psalm 119 has 22 sections, the Hebrew alphabet. That would take you through 22 days of the month. That's a great Bible plan. Proverbs has 31 days like many of our months. So you could read a proverb a day throughout the month. There are yearly reading plans that will help you read through the whole Bible from Genesis through Revelation. And you can find those on the website. The Bible app on your phone, if you have enough self-control to only click on the app and not click everywhere else, like I do often, then you can use that. And you can even join with friends in that and do it in community. Say, hey, let's do this app together and you can comment back and forth. There are several chronological Bibles which put the books into order. And so you can understand that. There are samples of that out there. And 
One of my favorite ways to read the Bible is to read a passage like a New Testament chapter or even half a chapter, to read that same passage every day throughout the week and each time ask myself, what do these verses say? What do they mean in their original setting? And then what is this saying for me today? And finally, what do I need to do in light of what I just learned? Is there something I need to change in the way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting, the way I'm speaking? What do I need to do in light of God's Word? And this is from a devotional called On Track Devotions. There are links for that, and you can find that. You can use that in hard copy and order a subscription once a quarter to get a book, or you can do it online, and I would encourage you to do that too. Ask a family member, ask a friend, ask your spouse, ask someone who you don't think likes you. We might call them enemies and say, would you read with me and talk about it? Give yourselves something to have in common to discuss. And you might even want to pick a reward like we're going to have dinner out when we finish half of the Bible, or we're going to do something together when we finish the whole thing. That's okay to encourage you or your family to keep going. Don't have an all-or-nothing attitude. If you miss a day, don't give up. Just get back into it again tomorrow. As I said earlier, if you read a verse and you didn't read any the week before, then that's like 10,000% better, right? What are my math people? Read God's Word and encourage each other. And if you have some things that you are encouraged in as you're reading it, feel free to shoot me a text or send me a note and say, would you check in on me and ask me how my Bible reading's going? I'd be happy to do that with you if someone else doesn't. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing our closing song, and then I hope you'll stay for coffee. I hope you'll stay for Sunday school. I hope you'll go sign up for the intro class next week. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your word, for not leaving us just wondering what life is all about, wondering who we were created by, wondering why we're here, wondering how we can find peace, how we can find hope, how we can find rest how we can find redemption and forgiveness for our sins. Father, help us to be students of your word this week, this year. Help us to read it expectantly, to dig into it, to read it prayerfully, to want to desire to hear from you, that we would read it in community, that we would read it focused on your son, Jesus Christ. May God bless us as we learn to love and read his word faithfully, as we see the amazing changes that take place. Help us to be living and active in your word in this new year. The depths and the riches and the wisdom are found in the knowledge of the word of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For from him, Jesus Christ, and through him and to him are all things. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.